Raise your hand if you've been chosen by God. Raise your hand. Hey, that's pretty good. We usually don't use that language, so I know some of you are still confused about it, but some of you got that right away. I love that. We're going to be talking about this, but we're going to tell the same story three different times today. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be a long sermon, I promise you, but we're going to tell the same story three because there's more things going on than meets the eye right? There's a lot of things going on with any particular moment in your life, any particular thing going on. There's more than one way to view it. We're going to see it in two or three different ways. We're going to be talking about the Thessalonians for the next few weeks, these two letters Paul wrote, but we're going to be talking about them as a group of people this morning. The Thessalonica is a town in Macedonia, the second leading city, named after a Greek king's wife. He named a city after his wife. Happens to be Alexander the Great's sister, Thessalonica, right? What kind of a name is that? I don't know. Maybe in their time that was really cool. But we're going to be talking about these people today. And I'm going to tell you the story, kind of how this goes along. I'll show you the map first. So here's a map. Some of you really far away can't see it and I understand, but I'm going to just explain some of this. This right here is called Galatia. You know, we have a letter in the New Testament, Galatians. Well, this is the first area Paul went, first missionary journey. You got Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. You got these right around in here is where he worked that first time, him and Barnabas, right? And so that's that's Galatia and that's Phrygia on the side, right? So this is this is the area of the first missionary journey. Uh, and and when they were on that journey, they they were very productive, established churches, but a conflict started almost immediately between Jews and Gentiles, and they didn't know how to resolve it. And Paul couldn't quite come to the, that uh, resolution either. So after that journey, they met in Acts chapter 15 for this great big council to solve this problem. And Paul is over the moon excited because they did resolve it. And he wants on the second missionary journey to go back to those same areas right in here and share with them how the thing has been resolved, this tension has been resolved, and to see how they are. Well, before that missionary journey ever starts, there's a problem. He and Barnabas, you may remember, the first missionary journey, they kind of had disagreements, so they had to split up. And Paul picks another guy. Does anybody remember what his name is? Silas. He and Silas are going to start this journey. So he he keeps his travel plan, but he he changes his partner. It's Silas now. So they're going to start the second missionary journey. I want you to follow me with this in the book of Acts. He wants to go to these same churches he did before. But he also has his eye. I'm taking a guess here. I'm taking a guess here. After he gets to this area, this Phrygian Galatia where he was, he wants to go to Ephesus. It's like the most strategic city. If he can get a church there, it will go all over the world. He wants to do that so bad, okay? So keep that in mind. He wants to go through those major cities that he went through before and then go to Ephesus. But here's what happened. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, those churches they were at before, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So next screen. So they can go there. God says, ah, not going to go there. I don't want you there. So This is where he wanted to go, but God says no. What do you do when God says no? You find another way to go. So instead of going this way, they said, well, we'll just go up here. And so they start going up here, and he gets about here, and he thinks, I'll go over here to Bithynia. Next screen. When they had come up to Mysia, which was north up there, and they attempted to go into Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So next screen, that's out. So, so now all of a sudden, you've got them going here. They've been here already. They can't go here. They can't go here. I don't know how God did this. It doesn't really say, but somehow 
God said you can't go. You ever, you ever had something that you really thought you should do and it just wasn't possible? The door was slammed on you and you just kind of go, well, I guess I'm not supposed to be there. That's what Paul's experiencing. Paul and Silas are going, well, I can't go north, can't go south. I've already been here. I must need to go over there. So they keep traveling. They go traveling through Malaysia and they end up in a town called Troas, okay? Now in Troas, he gets some more direction, a little more clear. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul at night. So Paul, sleeping at night, gets this vision. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over here to Macedonia and help us. Now, how would you know that you have a dream of a Macedonian man? I don't pay attention to the ethnic, you know, uh, ethnicity of the people I kind of see at night in weird visions, right? But they say the Macedonian people wore sombrero-type things. So there was a big hat man, I guess, that he, he saw this vision, right? So next screen. And what you see is God giving the green light to go over here. Obviously, God wants Paul and Silas right here. And one of the reasons is he wants them in Thessalonica. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. We concluded, very brilliantly, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It is no accident he ends there. And I want to say this to you. It's no accident that whoever got to you with the gospel got to you with the gospel. It is no accident God has placed people in your life, and that's why you got there. And that means God is placing you in the lives of other people. If you have children, God is calling you to share the gospel with your kids. Is that true? You can't miss it, y'all. It's like, if, if, it's like a neon sign. I'm giving these kids to you so you can share the gospel with them. So, keep going with the next slide. Here's how it goes. They go into Macedonia. Macedonia is this great big, uh, sorry, right? this, this huge chunk of territory. He gets in a ship and he goes from here to here to here. And the first city he actually comes to and spends any time is Philippi. And it was not a good experience. You may remember this. He ends up in jail for the first time. He's also escorted out of town, not for the first time, and certainly not for the last. This is going to be common treatment for him. And he says about this in 1 Thessalonians 2, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, he comes out of there a little bit frustrated about how they treated him. But when he comes to Thessalonica, now remember, we're getting Timothy's view now. Here's what happens. When they had passed through Amphipolis, and I appreciate men did a great job with these crazy words, and Apollonia, that was on the Via Ignatia Highway. It was a great highway the Romans built to go across their entire empire. I have walked on this road. I have a rock from this road. I have a rock that touched Paul's sandal. I don't know that, but I'm going to say it till the day I die. Anyway, so... They came to Thessalonica. After he went through all those towns, apparently they didn't have a synagogue. And so he, he lands in Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews there. Paul always goes in the synagogue first. That's his M.O., right? Because the gospel goes to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. And he always keeps that up, right? And so uh, Paul went there, as was his custom. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining. Here's his message. Explaining and proving it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. If you've been baptized, this is the very confession you make 
when you enter the waters of baptism, if you've been saved, if you have responded to the gospel, this is the message you heard. We've not changed it one iota from the time it was first fully preached in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus, who we say is Lord, when we say to somebody, do you believe Jesus is the Christ? They're saying this confession. We believe, right? We believe he had to suffer, that he had to die, and that he rose from the dead. And that's the one who is our king. We name him king, and we're washed in the waters of baptism. That's how they were saved. That's how you are saved. That's the great message, right? That's Thessalonica. Keep going. These men, okay, so here's what happens. He preaches that message. And some of the Jews actually believed it. You know why? Because the entire Old Testament is pointing to that. The entire Old Testament from page number one all the way through to Malachi is trying to get you to see that Jesus is everything the Old Testament was predicting. And when the Jews who are faithful to the Old Testament see Jesus, they recognize him and they respond and they become Christians. That's why the Jews believe. But you know what? Here's the funny thing. Gentiles there believed it too. These Gentiles were coming to the synagogue. They weren't full-fledged Jews, but they sure liked the, the moral teachings of the Old Testament. Here's the irony, y'all. This is really strange. We live in a time where people find the Christian moral teaching off-putting. But for centuries, it drew people. For centuries, the, the immorality, the total indecency, and the selfishness of humanity messed everything up. And when the gospel came and started talking about Jesus and God and putting others first and being people of purity and holiness, it drew people. In fact, the Old Testament says the world is going to be convinced of the wisdom of God when you teach the truth. It drew people, but today we're kind of going the opposite way. And for those Gentiles that heard it that day... There were gods everywhere, and these gods were ridiculous. These gods behaved in immoral ways, and there was no moral order at all in them, and yet they followed this god and that god and this god and that god, and, and, all the, and, and into this comes a message. There's one god, and his name is Yahweh, and he is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one you have to worry about. There's something about that the Gentiles like. And then it said also some of the main women responded to God. Now, why would Jewish women respond? And I'll say this. The gospel gives creation dignity back to women that had been lost since the Genesis 3 account. Jesus gave dignity back to women through the gospel. Nearly every feminist flavor there is out there began with Jesus raising women back up and these women recognized it and they responded but there were some that didn't y'all and when the gospel is preached it's good news it is it's good news and we need to preach it and we need to teach it but I got to tell you you know this you know this there are some people who won't like it it disturbs some people and in this particular uh, setting in Thessalonica, uh, the men, uh, the, the, the Jews of the synagogue who were jealous about all the attention these Christians were getting, they got mad and they, they, it, says, it says they got the riffraff. 
They got the riffraff on their side and they created a mob and they went after Paul and Silas and Timothy, but they had already left. So they had been staying at the home of Jason. So they go to the home of Jason and they drag Jason and some believers with him and they drag them out to the city officials and they say, these people are turning the world upside down. And Jason has been housing them. And they're, they're saying there's a king above Caesar and his name is Jesus. The same charge they charge Jesus with, they charge these people with. And when that happens, there's an uproar. But here's the thing. The city people apparently didn't believe him because Jason just has to post bail, and they let him go, and that's it. That's all we have about the account. That's all that Luke says. That's view number one. That's what happened in Thessalonica. But we get a view from Paul, too. After Thessalonica... He goes to Berea. Does anybody remember what happened at Berea? They like to look at the Word of God. They listen to Paul. They looked it up in the Word of God, and they say, we believe him. But as good a response as he got, the Thessalonian Jews that didn't like him, they rented a bus, and they pulled up in Berea, and they all got off there, and they made a big ruckus. So Paul had to be run out of town yet again. And they put him on a ship to go to Athens while Silas and Timothy stay behind. We don't know at this point where they go, but they don't go with him. He goes down to Athens. He preached there. Didn't get a good reception there. And then he goes into Corinth, and he's, he, he hooks up with a, a Priscilla and Aquila, and he makes tents, and he preaches there. And finally, while he's there, Timothy joins him, and Silas joins him back and says, everything's great in Thessalonica. That's the story from Timothy. Paul then, when he hears this record, he is joyous and he writes a letter to them. The second letter of Paul. The first letter of Paul was the Galatian letter. The second letter of Paul is 1 Thessalonians. And here's Paul telling the story. You heard Luke's version in the book of Acts? Here's Paul's story, view number two. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, I was run out of town. I was put in prison. You know, we boldly preached and declared to you the gospel of God in the midst of great conflict. There was turmoil right there in Thessalonica, but that didn't stop us. We still preached the word of God. And how did it happen? What did it what happened? And we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive that word from God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of, God, of men, but as it really is the word of God which works in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God and Christ that are in Judea. How did they receive it? Paul said, when we preached it, you accepted it as the word of God. Now there's a couple of things you've got to know, right? You've got to know Jesus is the Christ. We talked about that already. But you know what else you've got to believe? You really have to believe that the word of God that contains this story is the word of God. We are not gathered here to share a communal agreement on a story somebody wrote. We were created. As a church, we were created from the Word of God itself. That's where our authority comes from for our existence. And everything that we teach flows from that. Anything extra that we teach not not be harmful, but it's not the, the Word that saves. The Gospel is it. And so he says, when you guys heard this, you recognize it's the Word of God. Next screen. But then we were torn away from you. Paul said after three weeks of trying to establish a church and a foundation for you to build on the rest of your life, we were torn away. We didn't get to establish everything we wanted to say. Paul was very upset about this because it's very hard for a church that is three weeks old to survive. 
It's very hard when your founding apostle has to be run out of town. But that's exactly what happened. We were torn away from you for a short time in person, but my heart wasn't. I was with you the whole time. I was thinking about you all the time, and I was wanting to get back with you. I was wanting to get back there, right? But Satan hindered us. Sometimes the Spirit guides us to go away from things, but sometimes it's not the Spirit at all. Sometimes it's Satan. And Paul says Satan wouldn't let me come back. Keep going. So when we could bear it no longer, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, I was willing to go to Athens by myself. And now we find out where Timothy and Silas went when Paul left Berea. Paul sent at least Timothy, maybe Silas too, back to Thessalonica. I, I can't leave them without somebody to ground them in the truth. And he sends Timothy back. And he goes on to Athens and he expects to meet with him there, but he doesn't. He never does. And so, next screen, now, he's in Corinth, now that Timothy has come to us from you, He's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember kindly and long to see us. I have been like, he goes like, shoo, I've heard you guys are okay. And that's how Paul describes it. Two things Paul, one thing Paul does and one thing the Thessalonians do. Here's what Paul did in Thessalonica and he describes it this way. I use scripture to prove that Jesus had to suffer and die. And I'm all for inviting people to church I'm all for inviting them to youth events or church events, but at some point in time, y'all, we need to tell people about Jesus. We need to tell them who he is. And you can't just, I don't want you to convert people through relationships. I don't want them to be impressed with Valley View because how friendly you are and how much money we've got or how many activities we do that makes us fun or puts us together because here's the deal we can't convert anybody until we prove from the scriptures Jesus is the Christ we have to that's the grounding of our faith and you need to be able to then prove that to other people but we we've got to do that we've got to use the word of God and share it with people yes relationship must be formed to have a right to open that word but listen don't use relationships instead of that word don't do that because that's not grounding in truth proper grounding is so important and so here's part of the message he preached to them according to his letter to him he says you turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here's part of the story he preached. Yes, Jesus is the Christ of the Old Testament. But, but you've got to turn from all the stuff you believed in before and turn to God. And you've got to know that Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, it's judgment time. And the wrath of God will be revealed. And the only way to avoid the wrath of God is by turning to his son Jesus as your Savior. These are the, these are the messages. He, so this is the message he gave to them. How did they respond? Skip this next slide, if you would, and go to the next one. Because I kind of went with you. Here's how they, how do you know? He says they responded to the gospel. They responded 
Paul says you responded appropriately. What's a proper response? There will be people tell you this today, and I read it all the time. Your response can't be emphasized. Because if we talk about how you should respond to the gospel, it somehow compromises the gospel itself. That's not true. Paul says, here's how I know you responded to the gospel in its full form. Number one is, they responded in the midst of affliction. That trouble that followed Paul landed in Thessalonica. And when they heard the words of Paul, they heard it causing trouble. They were, it was causing trouble with the friends they grew up with in the synagogue. They did not respond with baptism and show the video on Facebook and everybody go, Oh, nice, like, I like, I like. No, nobody liked it. Nobody went forward to be baptized because all their friends were. No, what they knew was, if I respond to this today, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to have persecution. I'm going to have, I'm going to have ostracization from everybody I know. I'm going to be mistreated. This is, this is not a great time to be baptized. I should wait a while until it becomes popular. But they didn't. They responded immediately despite the fact it was going to cause them trouble. And Paul knew from that it was legit. But there's another reason. They changed their allegiance. Look at verse one, chapter 1, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You turned away from everything you grew up with. When they were walking through Thessalonica, there were temples everywhere, and there were gods of everything, and they'd go through here, and they'd do this at this temple, and they would do this at this temple, and they'd do jumping jacks at this temple, and they'd do all this stuff. Every time they walked down the street, they had to do all these weird things because they were serving all these gods. In the, you know what they did on Monday after they were baptized on Sunday? They walked straight through town and didn't do anything because they knew they were serving the one true living God, but you didn't have to do all that hocus-pocus stuff. They actually changed their entire lives in allegiance to God. They turned away from everything they knew all their childhood and turned straight to God. He says, I saw your allegiance change. I saw it in the way you lived your life, and the way you walked through town, and the way you talked, and the way you interacted with your friends. I saw it. Number three, he says the gospel came in power. When you responded to the gospel, did the gospel come into your life in power? I, that's a weird image, isn't it? It came in power? I'll back up first. Oh, yeah, well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. How do you know that your conversion came in the Holy Spirit? Is that something you can see? It came with full conviction. Can you tell when someone's been baptized and it's not with full conviction? I don't know. It's weird. I, Paul says, I can tell you it's a valid baptism. Notice as he goes on. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. Your life changed and you became like us, putting Jesus first. You started imitating the Lord. You started acting like Jesus. Do you know how you can tell when somebody's really converted? Three weeks later, they look more like Jesus than they ever have. You know how you can tell they've really been converted? Three months later, they look even more like Jesus than they did three weeks afterwards. And five years later, they look more like Jesus than they ever have before. 
and you received it in much affliction. It was going to cost you something, and yet you had this joy about you. You were paying for it, and you were having to make changes, and the whole time you weren't resentful or bitter or saying, what do I have to do this for? You were joyfully changing. It's hard to mimic that. It's hard to fake that. That's Paul's view. We've got Luke's view of what happened. We've got Paul's view. And now I want you to, we're going to wrap up with God's view of this. I want this ver, these, these verses are important for those of you who are really afraid of like Calvinism. You know, we're going to get all tulip in here kind of stuff. We ought, to, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers. This is 2 Thessalonians, looking back at their conversion again. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm so thankful to God for you. Brothers loved by the Lord. I'm looking at people I'm thankful for. I'm looking at brothers and sisters who are loved by God. I'm looking at you right now. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I asked you a moment ago, are you, how many of you have been chosen by God? Now let me ask you this. How many of you have been called by God? Raise your hand. If you've been called by God, raise your hand. Real high. You've been called by God. Some of you not so sure. I understand that. We don't use this language very much. It's when God is trying to appeal to you. After this morning... There's not a soul here who will ever be, be able to say that God hasn't called you. Anytime you read the gospel, anytime you hear the gospel in song, every time you hear the gospel preached, every time you hear the gospel taught in a Bible class, God is calling people to himself. They may not hear it, they may not respond to it, but God's calling. Every time the gospel is preached, and the gospel is this, you are lost, but God doesn't want you lost. He sent his son to save you. He sent his son to pay the debt that you owed, and you come out scot-free, and he wants you to accept and embrace Jesus, not only in your baptism, but in your lifestyle. And when you hear that gospel preached, as simple as that is, don't hear that as, yeah, God loves people, God's trying to save people. No, you need to hear it as God loves you. You are lost. He wants you to be his, and he's calling you to respond. And that's God calling. Every time you hear the gospel in any form, God God is calling out to you, longing for you to come to him. Everybody in here has heard the gospel at least once. You've heard it today. You've seen it today. You've been called today. And those who answer, look at the next screen if you would. I put the red in a different place. And those who answer that, who believe in the gospel, God chooses God says, if you will listen to my gospel, I'm calling you, and you respond to that gospel, I'm choosing you. You're mine. You are my chosen one. God does not pick like, I know you're going to be, and you're not going to be. He says, I want there to be a body of people who believe in me. I will choose them if they will hear my call and obey it. And once they obey it, I'm going to choose them, and I'm going to save them, and I'm going to change them. You get that? God chose you to be saved through sanctification. 
He chose you to be saved. He wants you in His family. If you will hear His call, and you will obey His call, He's choosing you. So everybody in here has been called. And some in here have been chosen. If you've been chosen, you're loved by God, and we love you too, and we know this. It's like he says to them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, is God loves you, you are his chosen people. I love that, and that's us. If you are not chosen people, then you're still being called. God still wants you. You just haven't accepted it yet, but he's calling. Every time the gospel, every time you hear it, he's calling again. Yo, I want you to be mine. Please come to me. That's what God's doing. And this morning, if you're not chosen, you're being called right now. He wants you right now. And all you have to do to be God's chosen is to believe it and obey it. And this morning you got another shot. Those of us, those of us who are chosen are going to beg you to heed the call right now as we stand and as we sing.